Well, hello, and welcome to the Carrier's Edge Podcast, episode 15. I am Carrier's Edge co-founder Mark Morell, and with me as always... Is the other co-founder, Jane Jasrawi. And we are, are in our newly reconstituted studio and fancy recording setup here. Mm-hmm. And hopefully this will make you not curse a lot when you have to master these things. Yes, I will be very happy mastering these. So we need to start, I think, by addressing the, I don't know if it's an elephant in the room, but it's the obvious question of where have we been for the last three months? Well, I think it's one word. Hey, what's your word? My word is Renault. Yes. Horror show. Horror show Renault. That's three words. Okay. It wasn't a terrible Renault. I think it went pretty much how other Renaults go. I think the difference is we don't we don't like them. <laughs> yeah. We're not Renault friendly. No, we are not. And we don't do them. This is the first major Renault I've ever lived through and that's yeah. a long time for me to never have experienced a Renault. Yeah. In the house. So what happened was we had a large renovation of our kitchen and most of the main floor, which meant that the kitchen functions got moved into the studio. Uh, And not only the kitchen functions, but for a good part of the time, Jane's office as well. And when you've got a kitchen and an office in the studio, it makes it very difficult to do any recording. Fun times. And then there was a bit of a plague of fruit flies as well. Oh, yes, the plague of fruit flies. I spent a couple of weeks catching fruit flies with my concocted homemade fruit fly trap. Yeah, you I got really good at that. Quite the expert fruit fly catcher, but... Yes, it made things rather difficult for doing any kind of recording. Uh, It also, even when we had use of the space again, you've got people tromping up and down the stairs and banging and crashing and all of that other stuff, which tends to get in the way of recording. So it was rather challenging and distracting. Distracting was definitely a word for that. I was distracted. So that's been a major impediment to our podcast recording. And on top of that, over the last three months, we have been supremely busy as well. Well, I suppose really the last two months. Uh, The reno started in mid-August, which we were expecting, and they did all their destruction and built up some basic stuff, the uh, framing and sort of that kind of construction. And that happened through September. But through October and November, they're starting to wind down in bits and pieces. But we've been extremely busy Uh, with all kinds of different events. And I realized, I guess it was a a couple of weeks ago when I was in Memphis for the ATA Safety and Security Conference, I realized that that was my fifth conference within a month. So I have quite the uh, impressive collection of lanyards uh, collected (laughs) over that month. (laughs) But I'm pretty good on conferences. And hotel key cards? I did pretty good on those. I managed to actually give them back. Well done. Uh, I think so. I found one. Well, see, this is the challenge is you don't know that until six months later when you open a bag and find a key card from some some hotel you stayed at ages ago. And then you're trying to remember what hotel it was and what event it was tied to. But yes, we did uh, quite a bit of traveling. And uh, I did, I was at the ATA Safety Conference to do a presentation, a Best Fleet to Drive For presentation. And that went very well. I was happy with that uh, for two reasons. The two things that are most important to me, there was more than three people in the room. 
which is always exciting for me. Oh. I set my expectations low. It's such a low bar. Well, I have done those presentations with three people in the room, and they are not fun. Yeah, but they were a long time ago. Yeah, I guess. I, but it's scarring. I know. I it know. Is it's scarring. hard. To, it's hard to perform for a small number of people. So this was good. It was. Uh, I think we had about twenty people. Which, considering the time of the day and the the amount of people at the uh, event and how many different things were happening, twenty people was a decent uh, number. So I wasn't unhappy about that. The other thing that made me happy about that presentation, and I know you're about to mock me for it, is that I finished on time. <laughs> Jane loves it's to mock what, me for my It's what makes an amazing presentation, is if you finished on time. Doesn't matter the content. I don't. Just end it on time. Yeah. I, well, I have a very bad habit of not even paying attention to time when I'm with you. Because I know that that's your major focus. You don't even care what people say. Just make sure that the mic is working and that it ends on time. <laughs> but those are, you know, and if those two things work out, it's like, it's not even a success or a not success that you can move on then. Yes. So you yeah. can now move on. The box is checked. Yes. I've closed that file and, and moved onward. And I'm all anxiety be anxiety about how things come across and what did I say and, you know. And <laughs> you're like, you I don't it, care. You're worried about what you yeah, say. Yeah, I'm always yeah. worried about what I say after. Never before. Well, I try to plan for the things I could possibly say. And I rehearse presentations. Um uh, but it's weird when I open my mouth, I, I never, it's not like you, you have exactly the same words that come out of your mouth every single time you press play on the cassette player and you just start. But, you know, in my head, I'm always thinking of other things and then an idea pops in. And so it may go a different way. And it, the more rehearsal that I have, the better it is, like the more that I don't stray off or get distracted. But there are times when... I'm in a presentation thinking, oh, man, what am I supposed to say here? <laughs> and I have this yeah. fleeting moment of panic. But yeah. I don't think anybody knows that ever happens. No. Well, if we're doing a joint presentation, then usually I'll be scowling at you because you're off script at that point. Or you pass me nasty notes. <laughs> yes. The notes <laughs> are the best. Yes. When we first started doing speeches together... I was so uptight about scheduling and time and all of that stuff. And I had the thing figured out based on what our rehearsal had been and how it had gone. And Jane gets up there and just goes off on uh, a tangent, riffing about new things that she's thought of. And it drove me crazy. So we would be at the podium and one of us would sort of be sort of standing in the back while the other one is speaking. Well, when she's speaking, I'm writing these sort of nasty notes and leaving them <laughs> on the podium for her and pointing to them as I go and take over the the uh, the clicker and start my section of it. You're lovely. <laughs> yes. And well, the other one was and this happened because it had been a really like when we first started doing presentations together, I had not done any like I used to do tons of them because I was doing stand up training. But then when we started um, the company, and we were prim primarily doing online training, I stopped doing presentations and the whole idea of doing public speaking, we hadn't, Mark was really the one who did it. So when I started, I was, the way I did it was you turn around and look at the screen to find out where you are. Because there was absolutely, when the last time I had done a presentation, there was no presenter notes or you couldn't see what was ahead. 
And Mark had already had started using the presenter view of a presentation, which lets you see one screen ahead. And I kept on getting these notes. Don't look at the screen. Don't look at the screen. And it's like, oh, my God, it's been like my entire life. I've looked at the screen. Well, see, from the audience point of view, it sucks if you're there and the speaker is basically standing with their back to you reading the slides off the screen. That is hardly and what I do. And it's not what you were doing, for sure. You were never that bad, but you would sort of casually glance over it. But I've just, I've been to so many conferences or, or so many sessions where I've seen speakers that don't seem to know their own material. And they're basically standing there. They may be standing sideways. And sometimes they outright have their back to a large chunk of the audience while yeah. they're reading the content on the slide. And it drives me crazy because it's so disrespectful to the audience. It's harder to hear. You can't make any eye contact as the speaker and you're not engaging with your audience. You're physically turning away from them. And the other thing is the, with the presenter notes, both PowerPoint uh, and Apple's keynote program have fantastic presenter modes that will let you see the current slide and the next slide that's coming up. And let timing, you, it tells you how timers, long you've been talking. Whether there's animations left to play on the slide and all of that kind of stuff. And even do things like have pointer tools so you can highlight parts of the screen. Really nice functionality that almost nobody ever uses. So when you go to like a large conference where they have the AV person controlling the slides or they have the laptop over there and they give you a remote that only will go forward and back, you really are kind of stuck because you, you don't have any choice but to look at the screen because they haven't given you any tools. And I always hate that because they, they have it set up where the laptop is really just mirrored and they're not using the presenter view and all of that stuff. So it always drives me crazy. I used to almost always insist on bringing my own machine so I could set it up and actually have that and deliver a smoother experience for the audience. But now I'm at the point where I don't know if I'm just more comfortable or if I just don't care, but I will just use whatever machine that they <laughs> give me. And usually it's some mediocre PC with PowerPoint. And I don't really like PowerPoint because it's, it's kind of a clunky tool for doing slides, but I'll use it. I'll make use of the stuff that's there. And I just have very minimal slides and have uh, try and have more like what you do, have more images and graphs and things like that. And then outside of that, stay away from the text and really just sort of tell a story around the pictures and the, the graphs and things. doesn't always end up that way, but that's what I try for. One of the things that I was trying to do at the Fleet Safety Council uh, conference, which was in September, October. October. No, that was, yeah, that was only a little over a month ago. But I, really? Yeah. Oh, man, it seems like a couple of months or seems like. forever, doesn't it? Definitely like a season, like three or four months ago. Mm -hmm. um, but what I discovered, because I had used Apple's keynotes because I have a Mac, as do you. And what I uh, found, I don't know where I saw it, but I read somewhere that you can actually control it from your phone. You can have your phone um, sync, not synced, but what do you do? Uh, like Bluetooth. Yeah, it's connected. Connected to your to your computer and you can actually control mm -hmm. instead of using a clicker you can use your phone and i was very happy to do that except that the audio visual setup at um the location that they do the conference in doesn't like max at all and the person who was uh doing the technology stuff there also did not like max 
did not want me to use a Mac. So I had a PowerPoint version, so I didn't get to use my smartphone, hmm. uh, my smartphone application. But I was oh, so excited to use it. I probably would have screwed it up, but uh, I it went. actually it I went. had a chance to use it. Uh, when I did, uh, when you were at the safety conference la- uh, last week, I was out um, doing a, a presentation for a chapter of that uh, that safety council. Right. And uh, yeah, so I don't have a laptop anymore. I travel with an iPad, and I have my presentation on there, and I had it set up that way to control it from my phone, which I realized halfway through was kind of silly because the iPad was like a foot and a half away from me on the table, but I'm controlling the thing from my phone. Uh, so it didn't kind of look silly because I could have reached down and advanced the slides directly. But, but hey. the nice thing with doing it through the phone is that not only can you go forward and back on the slides, but you can also pull up the highlighter and the, the markers and things so you can like highlight sections of the screen and draw boxes and stuff like that, which is really handy. Uh, in that case, I was doing sort of a product uh, discussion and uh, talking about e-learning best practices and showing some screenshots and things. So I wanted to highlight different parts of screens when I was doing it. So the, uh, the highlighter was a really nice function. However, I realized just before I was about to start that it kind of looks like you're ha- you've got your head buried in your phone during the presentation. So you got to be very careful about how you do it. Yeah, so you look I made like it you're texting people. Yeah, I look like a teen who's just buried in their in their Instagram or something. Yeah. But I had to clarify to the audience that that's what I was doing so that they didn't think that I was ignoring them. But yeah, you do have to kind of look down to do that uh, if you're going to use those tools. But it's it's nice. It's a, it's a nice option for sure. One of the other things about that fleet safety conference was the width of that room. It's mm-hmm. so wide. You know, most places where you're doing presentations are more deep than wide. Mm-hmm. And the Fleet Sa- Safety Council, where they do that uh, conference, it's, it's very much an anomaly because it's so wide. And you really have to, in order to address both sides of the room, you got to work. And the thing is, is that a lot of people who go to that conference on a regular basis know <laughs> so they sit in very specific places because they know that most of the speakers are going to ignore them. They're not going to try and, and include them in, you know, look at them or try and get them to answer questions, that kind of thing. And many people do this as a strategy to stay away from the presenter. I don't know why. It's not like we bite or, well, I don't much. Um, but it, like we're, we're not going to do anything to you, but it's that... I don't know. I guess they figure they can get away with texting on their phone or playing games or doing something other than paying attention if they're hidden away, if you don't like it. So, um, but there's a, there's a trick to, I mean, walking back and forth and then trying to keep your eye on the screen and an eye on what your presentation is, what, what slide you're on. It's a bit of a. Yeah, that's a challenge because you, you, you're getting your steps in doing yes. a presentation in that room. And uh, that's always something that I think about when I go into a room and uh, when I'm prepping a presentation is, is what are you dealing with in terms of the venue? Is it, is it very wide like that where there's multiple screens across the front so nobody is really that far from a screen? Or is it one of these rooms that's kind of the opposite where it's like a big tunnel? It's very uh, narrow, but it's deep. So people could be very far from the screen. Um, and in my, uh, my webinar about PowerPoint best practices, that's a section that I talk about is thinking about those things when building your deck, because 
if you've got a room that's deep and everybody's going to be far away from the screen, you got to be careful what you're putting up on that screen. You got to make sure it's big enough that anybody can see it. You can't have small print and stuff like that. Yeah, Whereas, like 12 point font is, exactly. is not going to help you. But where you were, it's a very wide room. It's not that deep. So nobody's more than 20 feet away from this 10 foot uh, wide screen. So you've got a lot more luxury there as far as uh, the kind of content you put up. But at the same time, if you're going to engage that audience and, and make sure that you're getting to everybody, you're back and forth across that room quite a bit. And yeah, you definitely were. <laughs> Charging over from side to side. Yeah. It well, was... I'll uh, also say that this was a bit uh, of an uncommon one in that uh, Jane did the presentation here. She was the first speaker up that day. So she kind of uh, kicking off the whole session and I didn't do anything. So it wasn't a joint presentation. It was just her on her own. So I was just sitting in the audience and she did a fantastic job as well. Aww, so the feedback you. has been very good. You got people coming up to you afterwards uh, talking about what a great job you did. It was a session on, I guess it was supposed to be sort of broadly about diversity in the workplace. So you did a section on women in trucking or bringing more women into trucking. And then the follow-up speaker talked about millennials and bringing youth in. Uh, but I thought it was a very interesting approach. Your, um, your approach of talking about not here's what trucking should do, but here's why women aren't here now. Here are the things that keep women out of the industry. So that was kind of a different uh, approach. And the feedback that I've had from lots of people since then has been that they really liked the fact that you made it personal. You told sort of your own horror stories of the workplace and all of the things that happen that make people not want to stick around uh, in a particular company. So that was really, uh, I thought certainly a lot of people got a lot out of it. I thought it was very different and it was uh, certainly a novel approach to a presentation and it went over very well. I don't know if it was a novel approach. A lot of people talk about their own experiences and that's and that's what informs them. I think what's different now is that um, I have been in trucking for long enough and I've talked about best fleets and I've talked about workplaces long enough and people know what we do and the kinds of things we bring to the table. It was kind of about when I was asked to speak and then I was asked to speak about women specifically because mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, always want to go there well I do always want to go there naturally but yeah I know you're gonna laugh but I try not to I try not to go to that default place but when um Bonnie Learn uh, from the Fleet Safety Council who also works for Northbridge asked me to to talk about women I was thinking okay well everybody talks about women and, you know, Ellen Voy of Women in Trucking is talking about women. Uh, Angela Splinter is talking about when, women. You know, how can I not say exactly the same thing that everybody else is saying? Because no one wants to hear, you know, women are more detail-oriented. Women are less likely to uh, be going to a different carrier. Women are this. Women are that. I wanted to talk about what it's like, you know, why women aren't here. And... Because of my background, because I have traditionally always gone to a place that is not really a woman where women tend to be comfortable. So I started my career in high tech and that was basically there were no women there either. And the experience of not having 
women in the place that I want to be, you know, where I go to work every day. And my experience in trucking is very similar. Hmm. And I, I think I can sort of speak to why women don't want to do it or not even that they don't want to do it. It's not even occurring to them. It's not even in their sphere of, uh, possibilities. And part of it may also be the subtle things that make it less palatable so that if they do give it a try, they don't stick around. They kind of give, they have a taste of it and then they're like, yeah, I don't think so. Well, people in general, and this is not just women, people in general will try something. You know, I I think there's a good 50 to 60% of the population that will decide to try something like a job. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take very long before they before they either feel uncomfortable or not. Like if they like it, then they'll stay. If they don't like it, they're going to leave. And so if you are a woman in a male-dominated industry and people treat you badly, a lot of the time you're going to leave and you're not going back. And that doesn't mean trucking. It could be any kind of you know construction or tech or like coding or anything like that. You're going to try it a little bit and the first time or the third time that someone harasses you you're out of there you're not going back because it's like you know what there's other opportunities um other people who have uh, you know when you're not a white male it there's a lot of places that are not going to make you feel comfortable and you're not going to go back you're going to go to the places that make you feel comfortable mm-hmm. and it's difficult to make to ha- to do those things over and over again so if you get burnt once or twice very likely you're going to be going back for more. So very unlikely you're going to go back. Yeah, sorry. Unlikely you're going to go back for more. And then the stories, you know, come out about the failures. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to be a failure. You don't want to not succeed. So you're going to go to places that are more safe. And people are just not that motivated to uh, to take these risks because it's Mm -hmm. really risky. Mm hmm. Well, it was a great presentation, and so you've already been asked to do it again at another conference, so that's good to hear. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to create a new presentation, which yeah. is nice, because most of the presentations that I do, I have to create from scratch, which is, it is uh, a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So that's that was a month ago. We have been continuing to be very busy since then uh, with, boy, a whole bunch of different things. Uh that after that we left that fleet safety council conference and went to orlando for ata's uh, management conference their big annual convention mm-hmm. uh two weeks i think later i was uh in toronto at the ontario trucking association convention just going back to the mce i it was funny because i was we we went to that and then i did i was supposed to do or i was scheduled to do a radio spot about best fleets and so I'm thinking about best fleets and the first question, I can't remember even who I was talking to. Like so many things have happened. It was oh, someone that was on the Mark Willis. Oh, that's show, right. Mark Willis. And the first thing he asks me is, so what is, what is MCE? And I'm thinking, what's <laughs> MCE all about? And I'm thinking, I don't even know. What <laughs> does it even stand for? Yeah. <laughs> My brain totally went. And this was after like three days at the event. Or four days or something like that. Because it was like on the last day. It was day. something like that. But yeah. I mean, just the amount of things that we have done. You know, when you sort of... Well, we were talking about this because I went to a conference yesterday where um, 
one of the speakers was on a book tour and didn't do that great a job. And, and I'm thinking, well, I kind of feel bad for them because when you're doing a book tour and you're a bigger speaker, like not like me, but when you're more actually important people, yeah, actual important. Um, I think that you just end up getting ushered into these dark rooms in that look all the same. So you could be in Toronto, you could Mm -hmm. be in Orlando, you could be in, you know, Phoenix. And it's all like just kind of goes together in your head, kind of like when you're on a music tour. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that kind of happened to me a little bit. Mm. I know it's not a great excuse that I totally forgot what MCE even stood for. Well, and I'm desperately always... looking at looking for a magazine to remind me. And uh, finally, I thought, okay, you know, forget what it stands for. Just talk about what the conference is. Yeah. Well, you always see it written as MCE, or you see that on the brochures, and that's how people refer to it. So yeah, yeah, you have to think about what it actually stands for. But yeah, that was a good event. Uh, so we did that, yeah. and then then what did you say? I said the Ontario Tracking Association, that's right. their annual convention. And uh, then that weekend, I went to another thing, uh, another convention that was totally, completely different. That was a showbiz conference uh, for all of the theater buyers in, in the region or in, that come in, see pitches right. for all of these different traveling acts. And they decide what they want to buy from there. With our daughter, the theater. Yeah. So that was very cool. That one, I, I don't have to do any work there. I just have to sit around and, and basically make sure my kid... Uh, shows up in the right places at the right time. So that was a lot of fun for me. And then the following week, I was in Memphis for the uh, ATA Safety Conference. So at that point, I was about done with conferences. But then it's funny that you're just talking about you were at a conference yesterday. (laughs) You had a different one. I was at a... Well, like what you said about the theater conference, this was a a leadership conference. It wasn't trucking specific at all. It was very nice to sort of sit back and hear other people talk about, you know, their theories about leadership and creativity and curiosity. And actually, one of the really uh, important things that I got out of it was how to try to uh, allow people to be curious. Hmm. And it was interesting. One of the things that one of the speakers said that was that when you're a toddler, you're naturally curious and you're and every, and always wanting to know why, why this, why this, why that, you know, why is the sky blue? Why do you wear those clothes? Why does this food taste like this? And because they're asking why so many times, because that's what humans' brains are naturally uh, wired to do, it can be annoying. And so what grown-ups tend to do is shut them down is tell them to stop asking why or tell them, you know, leave me alone, I'm making dinner or go ask your father or go and do this. And what happens is that, and school does it as well, uh, you just start stifling curiosity and Mm. you have to accept the answers. You have to accept the shorter answers are better, the more specific answers are better to questions. Uh, So in in a school, for example, a teacher at a school, for example, will want a specific answer to a question. So oh, yeah. it could be a math question or geography or whatever, but they're always looking for, and we teach our kids that, you know, find out what the teacher wants, give that teacher what you want, what the teacher wants, and you're going to be successful. 
but it stifles curiosity. And one of the things that they were also saying was that when people ask a lot of questions, they're not questioning necessarily you. They're not trying to be rude or obnoxious or defiant in some way. It's a natural it's a natural behavior, and it actually can really help you open your eyes to other possibilities. Hmm. So it, it, it's, um, I'm not quite sure how we can apply it in our own business, yeah, but I think it's something to, to sort of consider is that are we stuck in a belief system that doesn't necessarily uh, work? Well, you're always stifling my creativity. I was going to say the same thing about you, actually. <laughs> I got there first. <laughs> But Interesting. There was uh, an example of that she gave, and this was Amanda Lang, who is part of the Lang and O'Leary. O'Leary was that in Canada? The Lang yes. and O'Leary. What, what's the whole name of the, the show? Lang and O'Leary Report? It was yes. a daily kind of business news um, show. And then Kevin O'Leary defected to the U.S. So he got too important. Yes, he's much. Well, yeah. Now that he couldn't be the leader of the Conservatives, he has to. I think he's back in the U.S. now. But she said that she had a really good example where there was a child who was doing sort of a a talk about her father. And she was only seven years old, so she wasn't, it it wasn't like a really major speech. But her father was there standing in front of the class, and she had written her presentation or whatever she was going to say on a piece of paper from a real estate agent. So you know how realtors will give you paper, but it's got their their graphs yep. graphics on them so this child is is reading off things about her father and the teacher says are there any questions and there's uh the first question is what's that on the paper and the second question is why is your dad so tall and i can't remember what the third oh the third one was something like i'm the ba- i'm the oldest in this class, or I'm the oldest of my family, seemingly unrelated things. And what the teacher did to respond to that was say, okay, does anybody have any questions about what child X said that relates to, Mm -hmm. you know, the content? And so what Amanda Lang was saying was that that was those questions weren't wrong. What the children were asking wasn't the wrong kind of question. That was an example of curiosity, where your curiosity may take you in a completely different path to what the logical, like what you learn is a good question. They're valid questions. They're not what the teacher thinks you should do, but... Mm-hmm. Why not? Why and not it, find out why this guy's six feet tall? Well, why it could not? also be part of the process of saying, why are you asking that question? Or, or what's prompting you to ask that question? Because it may be part of a larger exploration in that kid's head of what's going on or how they're interacting with that content that's being presented to them. To have that, that's kind of the thing that jumps out. And then with that answer, may take them in a whole other direction with the content. So... I always find it interesting the way people's mind works uh, or the the way the minds work in terms of this thing leads to this, leads to this other thing. And then they can end up five or six jumps down that road within a split second. And the response that comes back or the question that comes back 
or something that they think of as a result of that can be completely different than what you're expecting. But it's all just the way that they make the connections in their head and how that all gets pieced together. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of talk about stifling creativity and stifling curiosity and how our society does that. And which makes me think, huh, we have to stop that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Nip that in the bud. Interesting. So have we been doing any work stuff or have we just been going to conferences? I have... Some, I think I was, uh, there happened. was a little bit of work stuff that yes, happened. Yes, your fancy new course My is My fancy added. parking course. Uh, very exciting. Trip planning, parking, and deliveries. It's exciting that it's done. Yes. I'm happy that it's done because that was a tough one to put together. I mean, it, now I think it looks really simplistic, but um, it's not simplistic, but it, it doesn't look like it's overly complicated. But as we've talked about before, the process of making something mm-hmm. look simple and uncomplicated can often be difficult. Well, that's a good sign that it looks that way now. You must have really nailed it then. I hope so. I hope so. It took a while. I um, have to thank Bert. Um, ah, what's his last name? Bert Weeb. Bert Weeb, yes. Who basically said very nicely, I think this is not what you were after. <laughs> <laughs> I gave yes. him a draft to, to review and he is like, well... You know, in the nicest possible way, can you go back to the drawing board? Well, yeah, there was definitely some iterations on that because it covers a lot of ground. Originally, the request was for something to handle situations like when drivers are kind of maneuvering in close quarters and they're at the parking, parking at the dock and back into it, getting in and out of the truck and sort of best practices around that. So they're not hitting low overhead and all how those not to get things. hit when you're parked. Well, then it came into how not to get hit when you're parked and truck stops. And then you added this planning stuff. That, so it ends up covering a lot of spaces around that, which are important because you got to make sure that you get to the truck stop at the right time or the best time to minimize your risk. You got to make sure that you're getting to the delivery points in good time um, so that you're not having issues because that's a lot of the preventative part of it is just showing up on time and being ready and being prepared and being nice to people and knowing what you're doing, knowing where you're going, all of that kind of thing. And not being distracted because you don't know where you're going or you're trying to look at your GPS or not paying attention to the signs on the road. So you, mm-hmm. you know, hit a bridge. Um you know, all of those kinds of things. Like there's a lot of pieces that are common sense, but that people need to be reminded of. Yeah. And some of it is stuff that we did have bits of in other courses. Right. But yes. uh, now it's sort of all in one spot with a, a full length course that covers everything end to end. And then a couple of refresher courses as well that talk about what are the re- oh, trip planning is one of them. Trip what- planning. Um, on-route safety. So on-route safety is picking up a trailer, um, hooking up a trailer, uh, going going into a parking area or a truck stop. So the safety things that you need to be aware of, backing in, safe, safely backing in and uh, and leaving a parking a parking spot. So and also how to choose you know, what are the things you should try and keep in mind when you choose a spot and and the kind of planning you should do uh, around what time of day you show up, that kind of thing. And then the last one is delivery safety, which is 
things like loading dock safety, what to do around opening the doors and unloading if you have to do that. Also safety with regards to getting in and out of the cab and uh, not lifting. We don't have lifting and that's a different one. Uh, that kind of thing. But three point of contact. Three points of contact, yes. Right. Definitely. Okay. Very nice. Well, that covers a lot of stuff. That's definitely things that we get requested uh, a lot. So it's uh, good that it's there, good that it's finally out and finished. It, uh, Yay! So yeah. that I can do best fleets interviews, <laughs> yeah. which is my next, my next challenge. And I was so happy because I found this, uh, this online calendar application that let me give people a website address and that they could schedule meetings with me for best fleets. And I thought, you know what? I can get all of these things scheduled and I won't have to go back and forth with people about times and I won't have to try and schedule my time. I can just block times out and it's going to be great, she said. Is and, it not great? Um, it is. It's going to be great. I think like with, <laughs> with anything. I, it will be I, great at some point. No, no, no. I think it's a good, I'm moving in the right direction because as I was explaining to someone earlier today, I'm dyslexic a bit, just enough that um, it's not, it's not difficult for me to read or anything like that, but I do see things backwards. And in my head, there are some things that I can't really tell the difference between. It's like being colorblind. You can't see red or green or they look like the same color. For me, left and right, it's hard for me to uh, differentiate between the two. So I'll put things, you know, I can see things in reverse and they look proper. I can also write in reverse pretty easily. I'm left-handed, so that's the kind of thing that happens when you're left-handed. Um, so... When I try to deal with time zones, I mm. can never remember oh, if it's behind or ahead. I cannot. I've been doing this for how many years? And is central time behind or ahead? I think it's behind. Yes. Okay. But I have to check every single time. Mm. Every time I schedule something in central time, I have to check. Hmm. I have to remind myself about, you know, when is that? And then I'm doing mountain time. I don't know what mountain time <laughs> is. And then Pacific time. I don't, you know. And then, oh, do we have some Atlantic time? It Good kills me. No really be well, before I was always trying to do with it, like I'd, I'd get these clocks up. And there's a website that has all the different time zones. And so I was looking at all the different. And I was thinking maybe I should get all the clocks on my wall at like a newsroom. <laughs> and finally... Um, what happens in this in this calendar program, this scheduling program, it doesn't matter where what time zone you're in. You schedule it for your own time yeah. zone, and but I see it all in Eastern. Everybody so, sees it in their own time zone. Oh my God, it's so nice. So, as a point of clarification, the process that we're buried in the middle of right now um, in the Best Fleets to Drive for program, when we do the evaluation. After people submit their questionnaire, there's a phone interview. And generally, Jane and I take the list of participants and split it in half, and we do all of the interviews, which means that you've got to coordinate interview times with anywhere from 30 to 50 or so different companies um, who may be really responsive with email who, or who may be really slow to respond. And so there's challenges there, and you throw out several dates when you've got some options. And... Uh, 
they, by the time they get back to you, you may have filled those for, with other people. So it's, it's an ongoing hassle sort of every year. And we each have our own ways of, of dealing with it and sort of our own processes. And generally, when people are close to being finished with a questionnaire, that's the point that we will contact them and say, okay, you're nearly finished. Let's schedule your interview. Here are some times that are good for me. What works for you? And sometimes they'll be quick and they'll jump on one of those. Sometimes they're slow. Sometimes none of those times work and you go back and forth a bit. So this year, um, Jane tried this calendar thing to see if that would make it a little bit easier. And it sounds like it's really working out a lot better. One of the headaches that we always have to deal with as well is time zones because we're in Eastern time and maybe a third of the participants are in Eastern time, maybe even less. Most of them uh, are central. Yeah, I would say 50% or more of the participants are central time, but a bunch of them are mountain time. You get a few Pacific times in there. Uh, so you've got to try and coordinate all of these things and figure out something that is actually going to work for everybody. And it's a, it's a real headache. That's probably, that could be a, a significant time crunch uh, going through the process every year is just that administrative work of contacting people, scheduling stuff, uh, figuring rescheduling out where they're at, rescheduling it. So yeah, this year you tried this calendar that you throw out a bunch of time when you're available and people can pick from the list. And as you confirm things, it drops off of that calendar so that it makes it easy for people to know uh, what's available and what's not. But you also did something different this year, which is to contact people a little bit earlier. And I kind of did the same thing. And we said, look, even if you're not 100% finished in the questionnaire, schedule your interview interview now. Because those slots tend to fill up. And particularly after Thanksgiving, when people come back and they're all of a sudden in a rush and they realize they got to get it finished by uh, early December, it's all got to be done at that point. Uh, Then they start scrambling to get it finished. So we said, okay book your interview, even if you're not 100% finished the questionnaire, book the interview, then at least you've got the spot. But what we're finding is a bunch of people that the interview time comes up and they're only half finished the questionnaire. So Or not even started. A couple of them are not started. So then it's like, oh, well, I guess that didn't really help a whole lot. It was nice, the idea of having the interview scheduled, but if people haven't finished the questionnaire or... Um, finish, they may have be close to finishing it, but they haven't submitted it. That's the other thing, because the way the thing works is up until they hit that submit button, they can go back and change any answer, whatever they like. So we want them to review it and discuss it internally and all of that. And when they hit submit, then it's kind of closed and they're, they're done editing it, uh, but then it becomes available for us to edit. And we need to review it and make some notes and prep for the, uh, the interview which means we need to have that thing submitted at least an hour or two before the interview is scheduled, maybe longer than that if we've got a bunch of interviews back-to-back, which more and more we do at this time of year. So somebody may be nearly finished, they're 95% finished, but they don't submit it until five minutes before the interview. That's a problem too. That ends up causing a lot of headaches and disruption They're not going to get a good interview if they submit it and then we do the 
the question. Or, Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, if I don't have time to read it, I can't, I can't process that information and determine what I want to ask questions about. I mean, I'm going to be speed reading it and it's going to yeah, be... Yeah, you're going to miss stuff. Yeah. And, and yeah, for them to really get the benefit out of the interview, we need to have time to think about what they've written because everybody writes a different way. Some people write in full sentences and they're very detailed and other people just throw in bullet points. And sometimes they're just sort of almost like keywords they're dropping in there. And that kind of gives you a sense of what they're doing. But you need to be able to think about it and figure out what questions you want to have as a follow up and that sort of thing. So that takes time. But that ends up uh, really being a mess in terms of scheduling and organization at this time of year. So well, what I what I think I'm going to do for next year is I still want to use that scheduling uh, app. I think it's definitely made my life a lot easier mm. in that regard. I just am not going to give them the the address, the website to go to until they're closer to 100%. So yeah. I'll tell them about it. Um, but when we reach out and say, okay, you're, you're close, then, then that's when I'll do it. Yeah, wait until they're like 75% finished or something and then send it to them. Yeah, I, I still think that we should do you know, send regular messages to remind people to get started and mm -hmm. what the due dates are and all of that stuff. But uh, I think I just have to tweak it. I think it was a good step forward. I'd like to have it built in the system. It's possible. Wouldn't that be lovely is to have That's it built possible. into the system, along with the other things that we want to build into along the system. Along with the 200 other things that yeah. we want built in, yeah. That's always the challenge. Is it worth building it into the system directly, or should we just use some third-party tool that's already built? Which uh, makes me think of something else where we've put the Best Fleet's driver survey into our regular online learning system. It's not, and um, I there's one company that is a customer of ours that asked me if they could use it for their surveys. And I was mm. like, no, no, because we have Best Fleets and our regular Carrier's Edge. They're actually two different systems. Well, they're this, they're on the same servers, and but they're not. They don't speak that well to each other. Yeah, we need the Best Fleets data separated from regular customer yeah. data. But it, what was really nice is that uh, they were also using our survey tool, and apparently it's been working very, very well for them. So. Very nice. Mm -hmm. I was very happy to hear that. So... What other things are coming up on the interviews so far? Anything specific that's jumping out for you? I would say um, there is, I'm, I'm noticing that there's an emphasis on home time. Uh, there's a little bit guaranteed pay. Now that could be because I'm interviewing people who've been in the program before. Uh, but also what I've noticed is that it, there's a significant increase in the number of women drivers. Hmm. I think people have really started uh, working on it. They haven't, they've stopped saying, well, you know, we're, we're going to just hire the best people and women are welcome to apply and we'd love to have them, but we just don't get any. They are joining women in trucking. They're doing... Um, Truckers Against Trafficking training, which really helps in that whole understanding of, of a little bit more understanding of what it's like on the road for a woman. It definitely gives more sensitivity to the people who, who take that training. There's more, there's more of an answer. 
uh, that I'm finding then in past years. So, and the number of women are like, especially in the States is there's a lot of fleets that have 10% women and up. Hmm. So I, I was happy to see that. Um, have you noticed anything particular? Uh, the biggest thing that I've noticed, and we were talking about this yesterday, is not a specific program or a specific thing that people are doing, uh, but the, the, the prevailing sentiment I have on this year's program is that fleets are distracted by other yes, things. Yes, yes. And that's what I'm kind of scratching my head about because the vast majority of the fleets that participate in Best Fleets are already on e-logs. So it's not like they're distracted by e-logs. But if we look at sort of the number of people that have uh, completed their surveys or completed the questionnaires, completed the uh, interviews or even scheduled the interviews, there's a real lag this year compared to other years. Uh, and Or the ones that are working on it, they're not as far along as they would typically be at this point in the program. Uh, and in general, nominations were a little lighter this year. So definitely there's some distraction happening in the industry and I mean, it's tough to figure out what's exactly causing that because all of the people that we're talking to and asking about it are the ones that aren't distracted. They're the ones that are getting stuff done, that are uh, getting their interview booked and completed and all of that sort of thing. So uh, that's been something that's been really fascinating for me as I'm watching it and thinking about it. And I'm not sure what it is. Like I say, these people are on e-log, so that's not it. There's something else that's distracting them. And it may just be that they're really busy, uh, that you know, business is really good for them and uh, they've got other things that they're working on. Uh, but it's uh, it's something that I'm curious about and uh, I will keep asking people about for sure. I do, yeah, I'm not, I've noticed it as well. It just seems a little bit different this year and there's a lot of reasons that could be. There's a lot of upheaval, especially in the U.S. Could um, be. And freight, is, well, there's a lot of things that are up in the air. People don't know there's a lot of uncertainty, but there's also freight is apparently a lot better. Hmm. And um, so it might just be that they're busy. Yeah. Well, uh, and speaking of being busy, what's on our schedule for the next uh, few weeks or month? A whole lot more Best Fleets interviews, that's yes. for sure. And anything on the product side? What are you working on in courses? Well, right now I'm catching up on some French translation mm-hmm. and some Spanish translation. So we have winter driving that should be coming out in French in the next week. Um, Spanish, I can't remember. Vehicle oh, I inspection. Gotta, I got to book that uh, yeah. voiceover session. Now that I have a studio back. I know. I can do that. Got all, well, got some of the French done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also have to update. Uh, there's more French recording that we have to do. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, a little bit of hours of service course updates just regarding e-logs. And then the next major course that I was thinking of getting my hooks into is uh, possibly violence in the workplace, general harassment training, that kind of thing. I may change that because we talked about a couple of other um, forklift, mm. U.S. forklift. Uh, which that should be pretty quick, though. U.S. forklift? Yeah. Yeah, I I imagine that it should be because mm-hmm. I mean forklifts don't they're not really that different over it's the border. It's not like hazmat where it's completely different. Yeah, I and mean, it should be fairly consistent. And the actual forklift yeah. isn't a different. It's not like they have you know two wheeled forklifts as opposed to four wheeled <laughs> forklifts. So I think we're pretty good in that general area. But I think there's just some differences in the regulations, yeah. and it may be that there aren't. So. Yeah. 
I just have to do some research on that. Okay, interesting. And I'm also, I think I, I think I would like to uh, have someone else uh, ha- start adding to my team as well. Mm, to go and that's, do some hiring, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's something that we're looking to do. The ongoing challenge for us is, uh, is getting new blood, uh, you know, adding staff. And uh, we've got one new developer who started in September who is uh, doing a of uh, complete rebuild of the mobile app and redesigning how content is presented and things like that. So that's a very major undertaking. Um, so on the one hand, it's great. We've got a new mobile developer doing that. Uh, on the other hand, the downside of it is he's really doing something that nobody else was doing. So it's not like he's easing up anybody else's yeah. workload. Uh, so we have to uh, sort of balance all of those things. But uh, I'm very happy that on the learning management side that we finally got the saved and scheduled reports uh, finished and they went live a week or so ago. Yay! Which is nice because... Congratulations. You know, thank you. Uh, I did almost no work on it, but I'll take all the credit. <laughs> you designed it. It was my design, yeah. So where that came from was it's like a lot of things. You kind of get irked by something and you're like, all right, I'm going to just build this to fix it. But what would happen is two things, really. You get the, the customers that are the heavy users that are in there regularly. And if they're doing kind of what we suggest they do, which is integrating uh, the training service with other things in the business, then you have the challenge of they're going in there all the time and generating certain reports and doing all of that. And it ends up being kind of tedious for them. So we want to find ways to simplify that. And then the second thing is that if somebody comes into our system and they were previously using a different e-learning service, which we have not so much in Canada, but in the U.S. we get people that move over from other, uh, other providers. Well, they get used to the default reports on those other services. So they kind of want, um, they want what they're used to plus all of the new stuff that we have here. And I really don't want to be sort of chasing somebody else's features and building a custom or building a, a report into the system because somebody else has it in theirs or something. Then I feel like we're not really solving the problem the proper way. So I figured, you know, the best way to do that is just make it like completely customizable and make it so that people can save their commonly used reports and pull those up really quickly, but also at the same time, schedule those things to run automatically. Why bother logging in and going and selecting this report every Monday morning when you can just have it run automatically and get it emailed to you? So now we have that. So people can have basically an unlimited number of different scheduled reports and the sort of personalized version will get mailed to whoever you want in the company. It may be uh, fellow managers. It may be uh, different division heads, whatever you like. All that happens automatically. So that's a really nice option that gives people a lot of flexibility and helps out uh, some of our partners that are doing some service on behalf of their customers, doing some of that report management stuff. So it simplifies a lot of work for them as well. So I'm very happy about that. That's, uh, that's been in development for a few months, took a lot of testing and there's a lot of tricky things because if you got a report that runs monthly and gets sent to you, well, you've got to set it up and then wait a month for it to be generated. Um, you know, when you're doing your final testing and things like that. So that's finally done. That's a, a big deal. And of course, we got lots of other odds and ends that people are working on. Some things that I'm not going to talk about now because they're secret until the next podcast. Oh, yeah. so you have to tune in mm-hmm. to find out what we're working on. Yeah. But 
we uh, continue to be pretty busy with things. I think over the next few weeks, the biggest thrust is going to be uh, getting all this Best Fleets data compiled. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, the nightmare that is beginning of January and figuring out what it all means. So uh, that's what we're up to. And I think I'm about out of ideas. Mm-hmm. So I think that will bring us to the end of uh, another edition of the podcast. Number 15. Is that what I said at the beginning? I don't know. Okay. I think I think it was number 15. It was podcast number... <laughs> well, thank you for listening to podcast... <laughs> and we'll be back again. Now that our studio is back, we will get on our normal schedule. Yes. So we will be back and uh, get on to our three-week schedule. And I'm looking forward to sharing lots of the great things that we have. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.